Amen? But it's truly, I've, I feel the weight. I really, truly feel the weight and the burden. Amen. And so, Father, I want to thank you for this incredible moment in time where you break open the seal of your word and bring clarity, understanding, and along with that, the grace to embrace you in all of your fullness. You've done this before. You are doing it again. And so we open ourselves as we take heed to your word. And thank you for the unction and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us to teach in Jesus' name. Amen. And so with that, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read from verses 1 through 7. And this morning I'm going to be speaking on the grace of giving. The grace of giving. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive that gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he will also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So let's just stop there for right now. Now, because of where I'm going in this message, I want to do two things. I want to first give you the context of this passage to allow you to understand why Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. So I said it already. This letter was written by Apostle Paul. And it'd be good for us to just be refreshed on Paul's profile. He gave us this profile in Philippians chapter 3 in verses 4 through 7. Number one, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, why am I telling you this? Sometimes when you know the profile of a speaker or a messenger, it gives credence to the message. Amen? If you were, if you were not to know who was speaking, then you may not give as much credence to what they're saying. Or, for instance, if a pastor, a minister... Uh, or maybe someone at work was living a particular lifestyle that most of you do not agree with or like. Of course, whatever this, that kind of person says is affected by the lifestyle they carry. You follow what I'm saying? So Paul gives us an insight into his profile. Number one, he said he was circumcised on the eighth day. For a Jew, that is big. Because if you are, if you are circumcised a day before or a day after, your circumcision, quote-unquote, had less value. So he reminds us that he didn't miss circumcision 
it happened on the eighth day. Then it tells us that it's of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, the Benjamites were those who kept close to God when the other tribes rebelled. So Paul is trying to give you some idea of who he is. And then he goes on to tell us he's the Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, there was no foreign mixture in his blood. And then he goes on to say he was a Pharisee. Those who most accurately observed the law. Then he said he was zealous, full of energy. And lastly, he says concerning the law, blameless. Now it's important you understand, you hear what I'm saying to you, to understand the, the profile of this person who's writing to the Corinthian church. Amen? And then let's go now and look at the profile of, of the Corinthian church itself. The Corinthian church, from looking through scriptures, number one, we know they were carnal. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. They were a carnal church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, brethren, thank you very much, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For up till now, or rather until now, you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. Verse 3. For you are still carnal. Now, would you like to get a letter like this from would you? Would any of you like to get a letter like this where this has been addressed to you? This is Paul writing this children, the Corinthian church. He said, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? That's the Corinthian church. Go to chapter 5. Same, same book, chapter 5. To see how carnal these guys are. Thank you. It is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Now, I want to give you perspective. I'm reading this. I'm sharing this because I want you to have perspective. I want you to know the church to which Paul is writing and by extension to us. So we know they are carnal. We also know that they are dysfunctional church. Because of this church, he writes them in 1 Corinthians 11.34 and 1 Corinthians 14.40. Don't turn there necessarily. He says to them, let everything be done in decency and in order. The same church. And lastly, the Corinthian church was a conceited church. First, give me 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 7 and 8 in the Amplified. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 in the Amplified. Thank you. For who separates you from the others as a faction leader? Who makes you superior and sets you apart from another? Giving you pre the preeminence. What have you that was not given to you? If you then received it from someone or from God, why do you boast as if you had not received it but gained it by your own efforts? 
Verse 8. You behave as if you are already filled and think you have enough. That you are full and content and feeling no need of anything more. That you already have become rich in spiritual gifts and graces. Without any counsel or instruction from us in your own conceit. You have ascended your thrones and come into your kingdom without including us. And would that, would that it were true and that you did reign so that we might be sharing the kingdom with you. Now, this is the background of the church to which Paul is now writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The context here is, at some time, Paul had sent Titus to Corinth to begin to receive offerings from the saints so that they can minister to those saints in Macedonia who needed, no, no, not in Macedonia, in some other part of Asia that needed help. So they began. But for some reason, they did not finish or complete the task of receiving all of these offerings. Are you following me? So as a result of them starting and not finishing, Paul felt a need to speak to them about the grace of giving. And he spent two chapters, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to address this issue with this church that is carnal, dysfunctional, and conceited. They were a blessed church. They had substance. They have goods. But, were, but they were considered in what they had to think that what they had was by all their own bootstraps, by their own efforts, and therefore had no need or no urgency to do anything for anybody else. It was to, it was to this church that Paul is now writing. Now let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 now. Let's begin to now look at what it says to them. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning from verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Say, please, please say with me, say grace of God. Grace of God. Say grace of, God. grace of God. Now, what I want you to recognize this morning is that giving can be given with grace or it can be given as a burden. I'm going to say that again. Giving or being generous or being liberal is not a natural phenomenon. Being generous or being liberal can only be an act of God's grace. Ah, you're going to get a chance to ask me questions in a minute. So just, just, let me just take my time. When you find a person that's generous or liberal in their giving or in their serving, you must understand it's not a natural thing. In the natural, as human beings, we are selfish. We only think about ourselves, our own needs, our own situations. But when the grace of God comes upon a person, that grace of God turns a stingy human being into a generous liberal person. 
And this is what Paul is saying to us about this church in Macedonia. He said, I want to make known to you. I want you to know that something happened to them. That God bestowed a grace upon this church. You see, when giving is of grace, hear me, hear me very carefully. When giving is of grace, you'll be looking for outlets to give. But when giving is a burden, giving will have to be urged. Let, 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 let me say that again. When giving is in grace, nobody has to tell you about giving. You'll be looking for outlets, ways, and places to give. Why? Because now this giving is not something you're doing from outward out. You, it's something you're doing from inside out. Something within you is motivating you, prodding you that you need to reach out and be a blessing. And you not have to wait for a man, a woman, a situation. You'll be looking for the means of what to do and where to do it. But when it's a burden, it will have to be urged. I want us to understand something about grace and the grace of giving. I know you've heard people sing and you say, my goodness, he or she is grace to sing. You've heard people uh, preach and you say, my goodness, what a grace to preach. What I'm saying to us this morning, just as there is a grace to sing and a grace to preach, there is a grace to give. And that's the message Paul, with his understanding and revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, is bringing to this Corinthian church who had a lot of goods, but were conceited in thinking that what they had belonged just to them, and that they earned it, and they own it. Amen? Now, Let's read on in 2 Corinthians 8. I've got to move. In verse 2, it says that in a great trial of affliction, and a, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty, abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were Freely willing. Say freely willing. That is huge. That is huge. I hope that God will help me to get there this afternoon or rather this morning to emphasize that a little more. These guys, watch what Paul said. They were in deep affliction. They were in deep poverty. On the natural equation, that is a disaster for offering. Affliction and poverty don't go hand in hand with receiving a good offering in the natural. But in this case, because of the grace of God that was upon their life, they looked beyond their poverty, looked beyond their affliction, and not only that, they were not urged to give, but they were freely willing my prayer for us, everyone under the sound of my voice, that we will make the transition 
from being urged to give to get to the place where we freely are willing to give. That the grace of giving will come upon every man and every woman. We are the giving to God who's blessed us, who's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness will cease to be a struggle. We will see the agenda of God as an agenda we need to get involved with and the grace of God working in us to allow us to be a blessing and be a part of that agenda in Jesus' name. So, moving on very quickly. In verse 4, they were imploring us with much urgency. Did you see this? They were imploring. These guys came to the apostles in Macedonia. They were imploring us with much urgency that we should receive their gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. My goodness. And this is what I'm saying to us, that the, when, where grace is really in operation, you see an increase in people's willingness to give. Because of the grace upon them, they were begging the apostles, let's participate. Help us. Please, make sure we, we get a chance to give. We need that grace. The body of Christ needs that grace right now. Verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Let me just start breaking this down. Let's just move on because I can stand, the, I can sit here in this passage and just come there for a long time. The grace of God leads us to give beyond our abilities. God's grace comes upon us in such a way that we are able to do more or do beyond what we think was possible. We already see this in the book of First Kings with the widow of Zarephath. I don't want to go back there again. We dealt with that at, at the beginning of this series of teachings. We saw that with Jesus and the woman, that, the widow that gave the two mites. Where Jesus says she's given all. So now, let me move to the, to the real heart of this message. We've seen what Paul said to the Macedonian church. We've seen how they were freely willing their giving. We've seen how they gave beyond their ability because of the grace of God upon their life. We saw all of that. Let me talk to us now for the next few minutes about tithes. The New Testament is very much silent about tithes. Whew, I'm looking at all the faces. In the Old Testament, the word tied, tithing, or tithes was mentioned 48 times, as far as I know, in the Old Testament. 48 times. In the new, that word or the combination thereof was mentioned seven times. Did you hear what I just said? In the old, 48 times. In the new, seven. Three of the seven times in the old, rather in the New Testament was in Matthew and Luke. 
where Jesus was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees really in disdain. It wasn't really complimentary what he was saying to them about tithing in those passages. Now, the other four times happened in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. What is interesting, what is, what is important about this? First of all, you must understand that Jesus, the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, that when the fullness of the time was come, God sent his son, made under the law. Did you hear that? To redeem those that were under the law. So where was he just made? Under the law. Let, let's, let me ask that question again. Jesus, when he functioned, did he function under grace or under the law? Under the law. Galatians 4, 4 makes it clear. God sent his son, Jesus, who was what? Made under the law to redeem them, us, from under the law. Then the book of Hebrews, in chapter 7, you must understand the, what the book of Hebrews stood for. The book of Hebrew, the entire book of Hebrew, was a book written to early Jewish believers who were there during the days of Jesus, and now Jesus has died, ascended into glory. They had a remembrance and understanding of what they did in the old. They are now in the new, but there was persecution for them to come back to what they used to be a part of. It is to those group of people that the book of the Hebrews was written. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. In, or rather, under the law, tithing was an obligation. Say obligation. What is an obligation? Something you owe. Something you owe. You had to pay. It was an obligation. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, not only was it under obligation, it was under the obligation with a threat of a curse. As I'm speaking today, churches all over America, there are pastors that's receiving tithes with a threat of a curse. Will any man rob God? And, they would, and then they go on to say that, if, of course, you rob him in your tithes and your offering. You know the scriptures? Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And are you cursed with a curse? Nobody here is cursed. Praise God, you are not cursed in Jesus' name. But that's, that's the, so, so, so under the law, tithing was an obligation, or if you will, a threat. You are compelled to do it. It's something you owed. And if you did not do it, you came under the threat of a curse. Tithing is also a fixed and known quantity. 10%. Now, those that make the case for tithing today under grace, use the scripture or the passage in Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham met Melchizedek on the way back from battle. And the Bible says he gave Melchizedek a tenth of all. 
And of course, that happened before the law in Exodus chapter 19 onwards. You understand what I'm saying? That is true. But may I submit something to you this morning? That there's a difference between a descriptive scripture and a prescriptive scripture. Did I say that correctly, Miss Tonya? <laughs> descriptive meaning God gave certain scriptures to describe what happened. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Man, are you guys listening or are you just looking at me? Okay, I just want to make sure. Descriptive. God described for us what happened with Abraham. And mind you, mind you, yes, Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. But the tenth he gave, Brother Derek, did not come from his earnings. Melchizedek went to battle. Took a plunder from the battle and gave a tenth from the plunder, not the rest of his flock and silver and gold. So when God put that in the scripture, that was a descriptive event, not prescriptive. If it was prescribed, it will be as a command. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see the difference? When Paul says to the Corinthian church, that grace upon Macedonia, let that grace be upon you also. That's prescriptive. Did you hear what I just said? When he challenged the church in, in Corinthians and said, listen, that grace, you know what Paul was doing? He was making a comparison. He's looking at this Corinthian church. They're wealthy, they're driving their Cadillacs, their Lexuses, their SUVs and all that stuff. They, 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 they're just blessed. They, they're very blessed. And he looks at Macedonia. And he said to the Corinthians, you guys, you have the great jobs, nice cars, nice homes. Macedonians, they don't have that. But they have what you don't have. They have grace to give. You don't. So he says to them, catch the grace upon Macedonia. Prescriptive. Prescriptive. Are, are you hearing me? Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says, put it up there, Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are not under the law. Say, not under the law. Say, not under the law. But under grace. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you want to go back and be under the law? We are not under the law, but under grace. Give me Galatians chapter 3, from verse 10. Galatians 3, 10. Thank you. For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Go on. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Say no one. Say no one. Say no one is justified by the law. Absolutely not. 
You are looking at it in scriptures. I didn't make it up. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Go on. Yet, the law is not of faith. Oh, hear me good. Hear me good. The law isn't of faith. The law is not of faith. The law, if, if, if I'm tied just to tithing as 10%, that is a law. It does not take any faith to just find 10% and give it. There's no, there's, there's no faith in it. Every dollar I get, 10 cents, that's the law. I give it, no faith. No faith. That's why many people are giving in the body of Christ and they're getting no results. Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you put yourself under the law and you're doing the things of the law, you've put yourself under that law and therefore you are not going to get the result that God wants. Verse 13. Christ, hallelujah, has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why are you going back to the law that God has redeemed you from? Why did he come? Is this making any sense to anybody? Christ has redeemed us. Past tense. Say we are redeemed. Say we are redeemed. That is if you are born again. If you are not born again, you are not redeemed. But if you are born again, you are redeemed from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Oh my goodness. So now, pastor, what are you saying? What are you saying about tithing? I'm saying to you that tithing is not on the law. And I'm saying to you that in grace, there is liberty. And I'm saying to you, I know some of you are saying, Pastor, 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 but I've been tithing for, nine, for the last 40 years. I know. I was there with you. <laughs> now, let me finish this message. Because some of you are already getting the wrong ideas. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't complete the message, and then you understand the, the totality of it. I did, what was I saying before I said that? <laughs> Some of you are saying to me, what, what then? Do I keep on tithing? Wait till the end of the message. Do I keep on giving? Wait till the end of the message. Because I don't want you to run with a half-baked message. That's part of the problem with the body of Christ today. But what I'm telling you, point blank, biblically and soundly, that tithing as we know it is definitely under the law. Not only under the law. It was given, are you ready for this? Only to the Jews. The last I checked, I'm not carrying a Jewish passport. Ooh, okay, man. Now, what is given under grace? What's the difference? What's given under grace? I'm glad you asked, even though you didn't ask. <laughs> Number one, given under grace means you give yourself to God. The Pharisees tried to and trapped Jesus. They brought him a coin. 
No, they, they, no, not, not the coin. They were asking me a question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He said, really? We're going to go there? Bring me a coin. They brought him the coin. And on the coin on that day, the image of Caesar was on there. So he asked them the question, whose image is on this coin? Oh, they said, we know this. This is Caesar. Ah. He said, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and unto God what belongs to God. Very loaded question. Very, very loaded answer. Give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You, in the meantime, whose image are you bearing? You are made in the image and likeness of God. Just as you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give God what belongs to him. Give yourself, he was saying to them. That's, number, that's where it starts. Because if you are not able to give yourself, when it comes to money, you're going to have struggle. The reason we struggle about money is because you've not given yourself. So that's number one, grace given. You give yourself to God. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. And you can see here why Paul had the, he had the authority to chastise the Corinthian church. Because he had already given them a plan. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Oh my God, you guys are good today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Grace is at work. <laughs> it says, now, look at what Paul tells them. We're talking about grace given now. Given under grace. Number one, give yourself to God. Number two, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches in Galatia, so you must do also. What kind of scripture is this? Is this descriptive or prescriptive? Prescriptive. Oh my God, I'm, my tongue is twist, twisted. Prescriptive. <laughs> Praise God. This is a prescriptive scripture. You must do this. It's not just describing something. It's telling us what we need to do. I've given orders. So you must do it also. Verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you say me. Aha. Paul is talking to you. <laughs> Let each one of you lay something aside. Notice he didn't say tithe. Now, you really have to wonder. Because I told you the profile of Paul. He said in Philippians chapter 3 about himself. He said concerning the law, blameless. So if anybody knew the law of Moses, Paul is saying, I'm the professor. <laughs> However, this professor of the law for some reason, in all his writings to the New Testament church, never once told us to do this. It was not an omission. It is a revelation. So how do we give under grace? Number one, you give yourself. Number two, you lay it aside every week. How? Verse two. Verse two. On the first day of the week, let each one be listening aside, starting up as it may prosper. Wait a minute, give me King James. Are you serious? Is that, is that the verse? Give me King James. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Mr. King James. 
upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by, by him in store. How? Oh, please talk to me. No, 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 no. Say it again, please. You drive your nice SUV, 2018. You drive to work every day. How God is, you testify about how God prospers you. And then you have the audacity to come to church and give him something less than that. You didn't hear what I said? Because I'm, I'm about to get into your business now. How do we give under grace? Give yourselves to God, lay it aside every week, and you do so according as how God has prospered you. Now, let me break that down, as we say in my village, well, well. Yes, Under the old system, in the old covenant, there were five major offerings that God gave Israel to use to worship. I'm not going to teach on the five, but I just need to point some things out so you can understand and get clarity and understanding. The burnt offering, the meat offering, peace offering, Sin offering and trespass offering. Five major offerings. All five give us an insight to the life and ministry of the, life Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. All five depicts for us the sacrifice, the price that Jesus paid in full for our sin. All five point to Jesus. Do you get that so far? I'm not going to go deep on you at all, okay? On the meat offering, some translations refer to it as meal offering, M-E-A-L. Others as grain offering, G-R-A-I-N. Other newer translations still as cereal offering, I mean C-E-R-E-A-L. But in the original King James, it is called a meat offering. We find this in Leviticus chapter 2. Please, let's go there. Leviticus chapter 2. And give it to me in the NLT. You need to understand what Paul just said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16 2, where it says, they give according as how God has prospered them. When you present grain offering, that's the same as the meal or meat or the cereal offering. Are you hearing me? When you present a grain offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of choice flour. You have to pour olive oil on it, sprinkle it with frankincense. Give me verse 4. Verse 4. Thank you. If your offering is a grain offering baked in an oven, say baked in an oven. Baked in oven. It's going to make sense in a minute. Thank you. It gives us what to do. Verse 5. Verse 5. If your grain offering is cooked on a griddle, say griddle. griddle. Thank you. It's going to make sense in a minute. In verse 7, if your grain offering is prepared in a pan, say a pan. God, God has got us covered, honestly. Can you just shout to God before I tell you what it is? Give God a shout. <laughs> Thank you. Now, the burnt offering represents your total absolute surrender to God. Your peace offering represents the fact that you are at peace with God as a result of what he did at Calvary. Your sin offering represents 
God dealing with the sin nature, the power and the ability of sin to entrap you. The trespass offering deals with your practice of sin since your salvation. The meat offering, however, deals with your substance. The meat offering comes out of the soil, the harvest of your crops. That's what it's all about. But look at God's wisdom. He said to Israel, when you bring an offering, which represents your livelihood, you can do it in any of four ways. Watch this. Number one, Leviticus chapter 2 verse 1, you can bring me fine flour. You don't get it from the ground. Fine flour, you harvest your wheat, you ground it. You process it. Not just flour, fine flour. You put your hands in it, it's fine. No lumps whatsoever. Hallelujah. Fine flour. That's one option. Option number two. If you have an oven, bake it. Option number three. You don't have an oven, but you have a griddle. Bake it on the griddle. Option number four. You don't have an oven. You don't have a griddle. You have a frying pan. Fry it in your frying pan. This offering was given according to your property. You are poor, you have nothing, but you have farm flour. God said, bring it. Because I see your heart, I know you are intent in honoring me. Bring your fine ground flour and I'll bless it. Amen. But for those of you who is prospered, you have an oven. There are some ovens this day, if you go to Best Buy, my God, the thing is as big as this house. The ovens talk to you. You talk to the oven, it opens itself, put the food up. It's crazy. There are prices they're making these days. I went to one of the brothers' house in this place, the refrigerator, stainless steel, I kid you not, that thing is as wide from here to here. I said, what are you going to put in this thing? I mean, crazy stuff. This is the idea. If you don't have money, you can get that. If you are not blessed and prospering, you can't buy that kind of appliance. So God is saying, if you are blessed to have that kind of quality appliance, give me something that's meet up to it. And if you don't have an oven, you have a griddle. Oh, you're a lot better than a guy that just has fine, fine flour. Give me something commensurate with what you have. Yes. And if you have a frying pan, I'll take it as well. Give me something commensurate with your level. How dare we go to work? We get paid this, all this wonderful salary. You wear all kinds of skins, shoes, skin, coat, fall, the whole nine yards. And then you come to church and say, God, you know what? I don't feel good today. I'll just give you a tip. We are hiding under the tithe. We have been hiding for too long under 10%. When God owes all the 100%. He's saying, give me according as I have prospered you. It's not saying to give what you don't have. But let your giving be commensurate. We have prospered you. Look at yourself on your next door neighbor. Have I prospered you? Yes. Have I blessed you? Yes. Is your life better than the person that's not born again? Yes. That's working on the same job with you? Yes. How dare you come to me and just give me something but because of your Lord that says 10%. <clears throat> Number three. 
I'm talking about grace giving this morning. The male offering was given according to property. No one there went to God on that day who had an oven and just give fine flour. They knew there is a disaster about to happen. Thank God we're under no threat. He has freely blessed us, so he's not killing anybody. That's not what I'm saying. But think about what you are doing. That's what grace giving calls for. It calls for thinking about what you're doing. Is what I'm giving God commensurate with God's blessing upon my life? If it is, give him a joy. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? <laughs> I'm going to take your questions in a minute. Now, let me, let me could you find a place to bring this to an end. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's gone longer than I thought. Now, you must understand something. Living under grace calls for a higher standard. Uh, don't, before you say amen, let me, you better hear the scriptures. <laughs> you say amen, you've not seen the scriptures. You better, you better see the scriptures. And you can understand why. It's a higher standard because God is expected for you to live that standard in and through him. Not on your own. You have help. That's why it's a higher standard. Let's go to some scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Matthew 5, 27. Look at what it says. Jesus speaking in the word. You have heard the commandment, law. That says you must not commit adultery. Do you all agree with that? Yeah, under the law. You don't commit adultery. Look at what it says. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Which is, highest, which is the higher law? You want to hide under the Old, Old Testament? Bring God 10%. I'm hiding. Yeah, 10, 10, 10%. 10, 10. I just let me do those two things. Look at what Jesus said. The commandment said, don't commit adultery. We all understand that. He said, ah, I say, I, grace standing, grace, the grace of God, I say, that is low, committing adultery. In that case, we have to catch you, your pants down, the whole act and all that stuff. No! We escalate it. When you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already done it under grace. Oh, how many of you can sit stand? Don't raise your hand. God bless you. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> Which one is higher? The law of grace. Give me verse 33. Verse 33. You have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. Okay? Next verse. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. Don't even go there. Next one. The last one. Verse 40. No, verse 38. Verse 38. I'm sorry, verse 38. You've heard a lot that says punishment must be... Give me the NKJV, please. Thank you. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Next verse. But I'll tell you not to resist the evil person. 
Which one is harder? But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him and say, slap me again, please. I'm enjoying this slap. Please do it one more time. I didn't say it. This is Jesus. But the reason he's saying that because he will later come and tell us, bless them that hate you. And if that was not true, you would not be able to be saved. You hated God. And he loved you in spite of that. That's enough. That's enough. I don't need to give you any more about the higher standard. You see it already. But let me now leave you with this last word. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5. You've read this. I've read it. And I tell you, until this past few weeks, it didn't make any sense to me. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Acts 5. Reggie, Acts chapter 5. Okay. Thank you. I wasn't sure if you heard me. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Go on. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also been aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard this. Thing. I submit to you, this was, this was the first time anyone had died in the early church. As far as we know. And do you think it is coincidental that the death took place as a result of giving? Now, I said to you at the beginning, context is very important. You must understand the context of this passage to fully appreciate what happened here. Go to Acts chapter 4, last verse of Acts chapter 4. Now you can begin to think of your questions, and when we get to the questions, please make it short. Don't give a testimony. Just give your question so we can have time to address whatever other questions everybody has. You understand what I'm saying? Please, be disciplined. Ask very relevant questions to what we are talking about. No extra biblical questions. Just what we've talked about, ask the questions so we can address it. Or if you're going to make a comment, let it be limited to the comments about this subject matter. Amen? Acts chapter 4. Give me verse 36 too then. Thank you. And Joseph who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Actually, we can go to verse 33. Let me read one verse, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace 
was upon them all. When grace was in the house, people started doing things that were unnatural. They began to sell lands and bring the pussies to the church so that the church can distribute to others as they had need. That was what was happening. So verses 36 and 37, Barnabas also sold the land, brought the proceeds. And when Ananias saw that, he must have seen that Barnabas gained status in the church. He sold land, he gave it away. Wow, look at how the pastor talking about Barnabas. That must be good. Praise God. I'll go sell land too. Amen? What's the problem here? He pretended, that is Ananias, to imitate the zeal and the generosity of Barnabas. The impulse to sell his land came from God, but it was counteracted by the spirit of the evil. In other words, it was an atmosphere of grace. God was moving, seeing things happen. Wow, this one sold land. That one sold land. That one sold the house. My goodness, this is the thing to do. Praise God. I'm going to say, I'm going to go sell it too. So the spirit of God moved upon him to do it. But by the time he came back to the church, Mammon. Remember how we started this message? You can either, you cannot serve God and Mammon. By the time he got that money in his hand, Mammon said, "Are you kidding me?" You are going to actually give all of this to the church? You've got to be crazy. They don't need your money. No, it was his property. He didn't have to give it. Because under the meat offering, in Leviticus chapter 2, it was a free will offering. Nobody asked you to bring it. You do it because you want to honor God. His sin was a double fraud. It was an attempt to serve God and mammon. He wanted the reputation of being a saint without the reality of holiness. You didn't hear me. He wanted the reputation of being a saint and had no reality of holiness. He wasn't going to pay the price. The sin was in representing the part as a whole. If he came and just said, you know, I sold my property for $10,000, I'm going to give $1,000, i am going to give $2,000, no problem. No sin. But he sold a thing and said, he sold it for 10 brought two and said, this two is what I sold it for. I'm cutting you guys a deal. Let me tell you the implication, and I'm closing. The implication based on the context, everybody was selling, putting their money in the pool and meeting the needs of everybody. So when, what Ananias was really saying is, I've sold it all, I'm divesting myself of everything I have, now I'm also needy. You didn't hear it. By pretending to have given all, is in essence saying, I'm now qualified for the list of the needy. Because I've given all away, so now I have nothing left. When in fact it's held back part of the money. And the devil killed him. I pray that none of us will meet that kind of calamity because, now, now let, let, let me even break that down. People are not dying necessarily, physical death. But businesses are dying, promotions are dying, 
other things that can happen because you've embraced and have fellowship with mammon. It's not a good enterprise. You can't win like that. So in short, fighting is under the law. But what God is saying to you and I is to give under grace. Free willingly, asking God to be involved, and don't limit God to 5%, 10%, 20%. Whatever God wants you to do, that's what you do. Father, I thank you for this message this morning. The word has gone out of my mouth. The seed has been sown. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you to do whatever you please and desire with this. That you move upon the hearts of a people to re receive and embrace the grace of giving. That grace of living generously in liberality. That grace of, of watching you do wonders in our finance because we trust you. You said in your word that when we're faithful over that which is least, you're able to trust us with that which is much. And so, Father God, I thank you for that grace upon this house. I bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Woo! A lot more, but I give you enough. Now, your questions. Your questions. Okay. Any questions? You know the rule? Get to the mic. Rasam, you have a question? Oh, okay. Going? We're not going to be here all day. Comments? Questions? Wow. Was it clear? Yeah. Thank you, Brother Patrick. Uh, I just want to know, according to your message, so uh, are we going to call it tight or no more tight by just giving? That's a very good question. His question is, hereafter, are you going to call your giving tight or just giving? Let me ask you, what do you want to call it? As far as God is concerned, he he doesn't care what you call it. No, seriously. But I understand your question. It's a very legitimate question. So, if we follow the dictates of the New Testament giving, or New Testament teaching, rather, it's giving, period. Just giving. Now, there may be times when you have to do special categories of giving, maybe like missions, benevolence, and so forth and so on. You hear what I'm saying? But in the New Testament, that word tithe is conspicuously, conspicuously absent. Except in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. And what he was saying in Hebrews chapter 7, four verses there, he was talking about how the Levites paid tithe in Abraham. Descriptive. None of it prescriptive. None of it. Amen? So, to your question, I hear you. Let me, let me give it back to you. If you want to write it as tithe, go ahead and do so. I'm not going to take it away from you. But you understand, though, that God is not putting you under obligation. That's the key. That's the key. God is not putting you under obligation. 
you are opening yourself to the Spirit of God. Say, God, all silver, all gold belongs unto you, including the one I'm having in my bank account. What do you want this week? Did you hear what I just said? No, you, you, that was very weak. Are, are you guys already sad? Because <laughs> that was a very weak yes. God is, is putting the challenge to you. Listen, I am God. I know what I've placed in your hands. Whether it's fine flour, oven, griddle, or frying pan. Give me according to as, as, as proper. He said, God, I don't know how you purpose, purpose me. He, ask him. He will tell you. He will tell you. So we're moving from under the obligatory, fixed, uh, known entity. 10%. To say, God, what does he want me to give? One week, he may say, give 5%. But another week, he may say, give 25%. For, listen, don't, don't play with God in this thing, even though we taught this thing. Listen, as a pastor, I have to make sure I give you the truth as I know it. I've been wrestling with this subject for about a year. Yeah. For about one year. When I saw this in the scriptures. I mean, come on. Why would God make everything is free under grace except giving? Does that make any sense? Why will he freely say, I'll I, I, I give you free salvation? And if you give it, if you don't give, I'll curse you. Does that sound like God? Something's wrong with that equation. Now, most pastors will not teach this. And I understand why. Because I have a budget to meet. And people only respond under fear. Like those of you that went to vote last Tuesday. Fear got you to the election. Fear, fear got you to the, to the ballot box. So under the law, the encouragement was fear. If you don't give, you perish. If you don't give, you might not last. If you... <laughs> I used to be there. I used to do all of it. But I owe it to God, first of all, and to you to preach truth. Even at the expense of anything. If nobody comes here tomorrow, I will be able to say, God, I've done what you want me to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Brother Patrick, did you understand what I did? Oh, that is Thank you. Yes, Brother Tony. Uh, Pastor, um, just under the context of United States of America. Yes. In terms of charity. Yes. Charity, again, we are under grace, but it's the law of this country. Correct. And charity falls under the category of what we're talking about. Correct. Tithes giving. Yes. And it's mandatory for everybody to report it accurately. Correct. For IRS purposes. Correct. Okay, how do we resolve this so that we don't get confused? Easy. The fact that you're giving an offering does not mean it's not recorded. I'm not asking to bring coins and put it in the offering and don't record it. So you do what you used to do. So whatever you give, fill out the envelope. Just say you gave $10, I gave $1,000, I gave it. The same thing. Nothing changes. The only thing that changes is your motivation and your disposition towards God. That's the most important thing. Instead of me just getting $1,000 in my hand, I immediately say $100. I mean, it's so immediate. It's like a default. And God may be saying $250. 
Because he has a two fifty worth of miracle blessing that's awaiting me. There is no faith any longer in just giving $100 out of a thousand. That's a known fixed obligation and quantity. But when I say, God, all silver and all gold belongs to you. All this thousand is yours. How much of this is yours? How, no, no, really, this is the question. This is the question. How much of this thousand should I keep for myself? That's the correct question. As a, as a good steward. What that says is I recognize it all belongs to God, but God, how much are you allow you allow me to are you allowing me to keep? And if you don't think God has the ability, can you buy the next air you breathe? No. Professor. So does that answer the question, sir? So keep on feeding as your envelopes. Yes, Professor. Yeah, that has answered one of the concerns I have. The envelope are part of it. Yes. But the, the contextual concerns I have. Yes. In the Pentecostal charismatic movement of which we are, mm -hmm. we are blessed with revelation, such as, such as you have brought this morning. Yes. If you look at the conventional evangelical community. Yes. The Baptist and the Methodist. Yes. Using those two denominations as my reference point. Yes. The members, if you have had opportunity to interact with them, yes. the devout members of those denominations, they practice beyond the tithe in their concept of giving. Yes. So, and if you look at their lifestyle, they have the results. Yes. They own the downtown properties. Yes. We hold the revelation. Why are we struggling? Good question. We have been struggling because we are, we, we are trying to exchange our giving for the giving of ourselves. If you read that 2 Corinthians 8 passage again, Paul began by talking about the grace upon the church in Macedonia. And then we began to describe how they gave. They first gave themselves unto God. And if you remember when I began this teaching, several weeks ago, I said to us, we must have a solid relationship. Personally, that's why we started. We have. So the charismatic Pentecostal, we are loud mouth. We make a lot of noise. Almost like we are in fig leaves. We make a lot of noise, but we are not grounded. Granted, not that we don't have revelation, but we are not grounded in practicing and living it out. That's what I'm talking about. My heart's desire for this congregation, I cannot speak of any other church, but for this congregation, that we get to the point where we don't even have to pass a basket. Why do we have to do that? If we are a prompt to do giver, according to Amplified Translation, prompt to give, give the person. Why do I need somebody to tell me this is a bucket, go put it there? Why? Why? Nobody tells me to go put gas in my car. You know you need it. And you put gas in it. Nobody tells you to go and buy food. So, God has to become to us what air is to every human being. We have to get to the point where we say, God, apart from you, I am nothing. That's what Paul said. That's the reason for what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. He listed all the things he was. Circumcised on the eighth day. 
uh, talk of Israel, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, uh, zealous, uh, concerning the law, he listed all his credentials and said, you know what? Even though these things are great, but when it comes to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they are nullified. Yeah. That is a person whose heart is in the right place. He understood that whatever he was and whatever he had become was only by the grace of God. And that's something that's not done on all of us. Some of us think we deserve salvation. By the way we live, we think God owes us. He needs to get us saved. Yeah. But when you understand that you are in Egypt ready to perish, and Jesus came and lifted you up and plant your feet on solid ground. Come on. It changes everything. Yes, Brother Sam. Ask Sister Shade, you went out and sat down? I want your question. I want your question. <laughs> okay. Lee. Uh, uh, Lee. Check. Okay. So you're in a household. You got two incomes, two different philosophies as far as giving. Um, you have the one spouse that would give pretty much everything that they got. You got the other spouse that is a little bit more restrictive in their giving. Both spouses claim to hear from God. How do you resolve that conflict? You keep on praying. No, no, seriously. It sounds very simplistic, but I'm telling you that God, God, that's the answer. Elijah saw, I mean, Elijah's servant was afraid about the impending danger around him. He was confident that God's angels were around them. And when the guy was threatened and anxious, he just said, God, open his eyes that he may see. So you don't argue with your spouse and say, you, you've got this, you, you've got to have, come on, come on. Don't, don't go into all of that. Don't debate, don't argue, don't fight, don't force. Take to your prayer closet. Just pray. God, I thank you that I want to honor you. I want to be a blessing to you. I just, I mean, it's, listen, if God put you and your husband together or you and your wife together, you don't think that God, that God can speak to, to him or her? Come on. If God spoke an ass and your husband and your wife is not an ass. <laughs> if he spoke an ass, he definitely can reach your, your partner. But you must be resolved not to cause it to become a, a thing or a point of fight. Rather, honor God and just pray. Yes. Thank you, sir. Um, deeply touched by the of um, Anayas and his wife. I mean, <laughs> I am saying that then I am deeply touched by the death of Ananias as a result. He's deeply touched by the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And his wife. I want to presume that probably he was not the only person who committed this offense in the scripture. Why was this guy not saved by the grace of God. And if I do that now, probably I will not die. 
<laughs> so why was he not saved by his grace? If his grace covers all of us. Good question. Now, I don't want to speculate. If you read Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the Bible says, all of them were of one heart and one soul. All of the believers in that, in that community. One thing, and again, I don't want to speculate. This is just me now. This is not the scriptures necessarily. That's right. It is very possible that Ananias and Sapphira were not actually born again. Very possible. Uh, they may have been in the community. They see what's going on. Just like we go to church and many people come to church, all of them are not born again. In fact, even now as I'm speaking, many people are sitting here smiling. They are not, all of them are not born again. That's right. I hope they are. Amen. So th that's one likelihood. Secondly, you have to go back to Acts 4.33 where the Bible says the power of God was present and the grace of God was upon them all and this is the beginning of this church. This is the, this is the foundation of the church. So God may have, now first of all, God didn't kill them. He's the enemy, Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So, so God may have permitted or allowed or not prevented because the early church needed to know because the Bible says after it happened, fear, reverence, fear of God came upon all of them. Same thing that happened to me. The same thing that happened to you. Good. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. Yes, um, well, he was here first, but thank you for being a gentleman. I was like to, I'd like to uh, clarify, when you mentioned that, well, from this revelation that you taught us this morning, that we're under grace and not under law. And under the law, it was required that we give 10%. Mm -hmm. But since we're under grace now, my understanding is we're, we're, we should go above 10%. I thought I heard you made, make a statement that if I get $1,000, I should ask God what amount should I give from that $1,000. And I think I heard you say, if he says, uh, was it 250 or 5%? I thought I heard 5%. And I'm, I'm here to say, if I'm going to ask God, I'm, I'm going to know not to give something less than what the people were, were given under the law. I should give above, 10 and above, if I had $1,000. Okay. Do, does anybody remember how I covered that? I just want to make sure you guys are listening. Make sure. Who else, who else has it? want a contribution? Do you remember what I said? Pardon me? Absolutely. So what we're saying is, whatever money comes into your hand, rather than automatically just say, I'm going to give 10% or 5% or whatever the percentage, the question should be, God, how much of this will I keep? And by saying that, you are acknowledging, God, you own all of it. And because you own all of it, how much of it are you leaving for me to keep? That should, that should be the starting point. And 
You must be open that God can say 20%, 25%, or he can even say, give 5%. Yes, it is a possibility that God says for you to give less than 10%. It is a possibility. But if God has given you more than fine flour, you have an oven, you have a griddle, you have a frying pan, more than likely, God is going to say, give me something that's meat, what I've given you. That's the scriptures. First Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2. According as God has... Listen, we can debate this from here to 2020. The bottom line is, if your heart is not right, you hear this message in two, one or two ways. There will be those that will hear it and say, well, man, I can always from now give just 1%. Why? They are looking for an excuse to do less. And there will be others that hear this message and say, wow, this is challenging. I can't just keep pigeonholed to 10, 10, 10. I need to trust God to do more than above. And hopefully, I'm praying that God will deal with your hearts so that you'll be able to come to the point where you're able to, to, to minister back to God as God has ministered to you. Yeah. If God has not given you anything, you owe nothing. Absolutely. It's not even what you owe. It's a free will thing. That's the, that's the bottom line in all of it. Free willing. Free willing. Because God free willingly gave his son and under this dispensation, it's only looking for those that will free willingly honor him and give back to him. Amen? Yes. Dr. Nafaka. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, just, just a comment, first of all, on um, Ananias and Sapphira. Yes. I, I want to say that that was probably descriptive. That was what? Descriptive? Descriptive. Yes. Okay. Not uh, prescriptive. And... Um, what they practiced then, which was like a, a communism. Okay. Um, we don't practice that. Okay. We do practice capitalism. Um, but, to, but to my question, probably, you know, the reason why people struggle with giving is because we think of God as a materialistic God. In other words, we have this idea that the more we give to God, the more he's going to prosper us materially. And, uh, but if we go through the scriptures, you will find that he says that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Yes. Which means that our blessings are not really materialistic, but spiritual. Right. In fact, there are more blessings that we have to explore when we get to heaven. So, could it be that because we don't have to give in order to prosper. I mean, those the unbelievers, who are the richest, the richest in the world, the richest people, they have all the money, and they don't come to church, they don't give. They have- Oh, the, stop. Okay. They maybe, do give. Much, maybe- um, They give big time. Philanthropy. Yeah, but, but see, yes. let, let's define that. Yes. That's a good point you're raising. Yes. But I don't, want to, I don't want to miss that point. Because whatever the cost they're giving to, it's a cause at the end of the day that glorifies God. Okay. You, you follow what I'm saying? So I don't want to discount what they do. If you remove what they give right now in our world, yes. cholera will still be killing people. Yes. AIDS will still be killing people. Malaria will ravage all of Africa. Yes. 
Yeah. So I don't want us to discuss. Yes, they are not given to a child.